Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. So we turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Pastor Tom. All right. Good morning. It's good to be with you all. And uh, I feel like I'm kind of coming home in some ways because... We had our youngest son was born in Midwest City when we were serving at Sunny Lane in Dell City. And so uh, three of your former pastors were, are dear friends of mine. I just called a guy Ames. Uh, so he's on my speed dial. Guy and I are uh, wonderful friends. In fact, uh, I used to date his sister, Andrea, so uh, in Tulsa. And uh, so uh, Stan Cosby was another pastor of yours, and I played indoor soccer, co-ed indoor soccer. Uh, Not that Stan wore a dress when he played, but uh, we played indoor soccer together here in Oklahoma City, and I have treasured memories with him, and I do with Randy Hodgson. And so Randy and I were in our Doctor of Ministry uh, degrees at Oral Roberts University, Uh, I paid the fee, and I went to the classes, as did Randy, but I finished my dissertation, and that's why I can be introduced as Dr. Tom Harrison, and Randy can't. Uh, He was a wonderful person, and so you've had three wonderful pastors, but you know, you all ought to go on a mission, and you ought to tell people in Mustang, you ought to come to our church. You know why? Because we have a tiger in our church. I'm sorry for the bad pun, but I've known 
Aaron's parents for a long time. Chris is a dear friend of mine, and uh, we went to Asbury Theological Seminary together. And so it's really great to be here, to be with Heather, to meet the boys. And uh, we had a wonderful time in Israel in May. And uh, it's just really, really great to come and to be with you all again and, uh, and to share uh, with the church. So, uh, so uh, today as we, as we look at this, uh, I, I want to point out some things that you see in this text. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open them to Matthew 19 where we were. But Jesus did certain things with people, and one of the things that he would do is that he would, people would come up and ask him a question, and he would answer by asking them a question. And so in this instance, somebody came up and said, oh, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And Jesus said, well, what's the Scripture say? And he says, well, I've done all of those things. He asked a what question. He's called the rich young ruler. He asked a question, what But if you'll notice, Jesus must have read Simon Sinek's book, Begin, Start With Why. And Jesus' question is a why question. So he kind of gets at that. He asks him, you know, um, and, and he does this in other places. And so the disciples are in a boat and a storm comes up. There's the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, you all can picture the Sea of Galilee. And the big storm uh, comes up. And in fact, when we were there in May, there had been a storm on the Sea of Galilee that our guide said he'd never heard of one like that before. But basically a tornado happened on the Sea of Galilee and there were a couple of people who died, who drowned on the Sea of Galilee. They were out and all of a sudden... Um, there is a geographical uh, way in which the, the mountains come out of the, uh, there, there is this kind of this rift almost that comes from the Mediterranean into the Sea of Galilee. And when the wind kicks up, all of a sudden, it's like hitting the blender. Somebody hits the button, and so everything's calm, and then it's not. And so that happened, and the disciples are on, on the boat with Jesus, who's asleep. And they said, don't you care if we drowned? And Jesus said, why? Why question? Why are you so afraid? And he asked another question. When a lawyer approached him, and the, probably the most familiar text uh, to a lot of people that don't know the faith. In fact, we have a, a new ministry that's operating in the development center uh, where we, we have offices. It's called the Good Samaritan. And they help underserved people with health needs. Uh, and so uh, they just had their grand opening this week in, in Tulsa at, at our site. But uh, the Good Samaritan. So the lawyer comes up to trick Jesus and asks these questions. And, and Jesus kind of turns it back on him and says, uh, well, who is your neighbor? And so the guy said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan, of course, is the one that, you know, that is the least likely to help. You'd think it'd be the religious person that helped the guy that was wounded and left for dead, but it's Jesus. And then he comes back to the lawyer and he asks the question, so who was the neighbor? And obviously he has to choke out the word. It would be equivalent to maybe us saying that a, a terrorist, you know, was the good person. I mean, it's like, wow, that that can't happen. That's how the Jews thought about the Samaritans at that time. This was outrageous. And so, well, he spits out the words, well, I guess it was the Samaritan. Yeah. And so you think of this, and you think of this with, uh, at the very end, read John chapter 21, 
And this is where Jesus made the charcoal fire after Peter had denied him three times. And they come back and he cooks a charcoal breakfast for them uh, on the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection. And so Peter, uh, three times Jesus asked him, uh, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And three times Peter's really wounded, the third time in particular. And so he doesn't really know how to do it. So sometimes we divert we use diversion as a tactic. We want to move the discussion from me to them. So he says, how about him? He's talking about one of the other disciples. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about you. And he really hones in, asks Peter a question. And so we see this as kind of the way that he went around it. We'll also see that in Jesus' ministry, he was not always nice. He didn't always say nice, pleasant things. He would throw out really challenging words to people. And so there is a place that Jesus approached a man who had been lame for 38 years, and he's by the pool of Bethesda. And you could go there, and you can see that site there. I mean, you, it's been excavated and, and all of that. It's, it's an amazing site. But when Jesus approached this guy who's been lame 38 years, and he asked a question, do you want to get well? Wow. The guy had to respond. Jesus was not always nice, but he was always kind. And there's a difference. A lot of times we're nice because we don't tell the truth. Kindness is not mean, but it asks the hard questions. And a lot of times we don't do that. And I just tell you as a pastor, it's really hard for us. Because we want to be liked, we want to be loved, and sometimes it's really hard to confront people with the truth because they may leave. They may say, well, I don't like that. Jesus was like, listen, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to be hateful. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not here to wreck your life. I'm here to help your life be better. But you've got to make a choice. You've got to choose, and it's on you. And that's what he did again and again. He asked that layman, do you want to be well? It's your choice. You can be well or you can stay in this condition. And so sometimes that's one of the problems we have in the church. And there's a book called When Helping Hurts. And we help somebody, but we're not really helping them. We're hurting them. I think of that, and I don't know their stories, but in Tulsa we have a lot of cardboard signs, people. You know, I don't know if it's a business organization that passes these things out. I don't know what the, what's going on. But you see these people on the street corner and you think, oh, I should help them. And yet people that deal with this say, you're not helping them. You're actually hurting them. You are helping them continue in a pattern that is destructive. They've got to leave that. That's no way to live. And yet we feel, oh, I feel. So Jesus was not subject to just emotion. He was somebody that had emotion, but he also had truth, and we've got to combine that. And so how is it that we could disagree with somebody that we love and yet stay connected with them? That we, is, we love people, but we tell the truth. And that's what, what's hard in the church, is that we want to be nice, but we're not really kind. Jesus was always kind. He always told the truth, but if you look in the sayings of Jesus, there's a lot of hard sayings that he has. And this is one of those. Jesus loved to use stories and metaphors. And so here's the picture. This is John Vick. He was on our trip. He's a pastor on the Asbury staff. And so we're in Jerusalem, 
we go up on the Temple Mount, and we see where the Holy of Holies would have been, and, and if you go to the Dome of the Rock, and the Al-Aqsa Mosque is there, it's just really an incredible experience. And then we come down out of that, and we come up to this gate, and you can see that John is standing. It is a bigger gate, and there is a smaller gate inside the larger door. So when Jesus was asked that question uh, and gave that answer, that it is easier for a rich man, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, what's he talking about? So we think of a needle, and maybe that's exactly what he was talking about. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's very, very, the biggest animal in, the, in that land, going through the smallest hole as possible. That would certainly be an explanation. However, there is another explanation. And so that is this, that in that day that they had a walled city and they didn't keep the doors, the gates open all the time, but they would close the gates. And when they closed the gates, you couldn't get in. So what would you do? Well, you're outside. They have lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, they're out there. And you might be mauled by one of those uh, animals, or you might be murdered by somebody that's coming to rob you, like the Good Samaritan, you know, that story. That could happen. It's a dangerous place. So, to show hospitality, they had a way, even though the big gate was closed, they had a smaller gate that they could open. And it's like this, and that's what John is standing in front of. You know what that was called? The eye of the needle. And so, what would happen is that you would show up on your camel with your caravan, and you know where your, your luggage is. It's on the camel. And this is all of your possessions. This is your wealth. This is you. Maybe you're showing up and you're going to trade. Your, this is all your wealth is here, loaded on the camel. You're not carrying this in a, in a backpack. And so to get into the city where you will be safe means you have to get off your camel, and then you have to unpack the bags on the back of the camel. And then you've got to convince the camel to crawl through on his knees the eye of the camel, the eye of the needle. And so you get that camel going, and here he goes. Can you imagine? Now, I don't know if you've been around camels. Probably you don't have a camel in your backyard. They're really nasty. One of the highlights of one of my trips to Israel, I've been 21 times. One of my highlights was when I watched one of our young adults get slimed by a camel. I mean, there was goo and yuck and everything all over her back. She's still screaming, I think about it. Uh, I think it has post-traumatic camel slobber, nightmares or trauma or something. But it was wonderful. It was a wonderful moment for me because it wasn't me. It was her. So, you see, I'm not always nice. Uh, but, uh, but camels are nasty. I mean, they're just nasty. They're very uncooperative. And by the way, I've decided I know who created camels. It was committees. Committees, you know, that they had to put a camel together. That's the only way that could have ever happened. But nevertheless, if you can get that camel through, then they, the guy is going to be safe and he's got his possessions and then he, he can repack. Maybe that is what Jesus was talking about. I don't know. But it's a possibility. So when we think about that, I, I want to have this. Now my sermon's ready to begin, okay? I got three points. And so it's going to be really, really easy for you to remember this because I've got three small words. Big, 
small, and act. Would you say those with me? Big, small, and act. Would you turn to the person next to you and say big, small, act. Hey, you did that very good. Thank you. Thank you. So, by big, I mean you got to see the big picture. And that's what Jesus was trying to say to the rich young ruler. He didn't have the big picture in mind. He had a different kind of, a, of an understanding of the big picture. And so, I like what Jim Carrey had to say, the actor. He said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that's not the answer. This is Jim Carrey. Yesterday I did a wedding at a place I've never been to in Oklahoma called Carlton's Landing, Carlton Landing. And it looks like the Truman Show, Jim Carrey was in that. So, uh, Jim Carrey. I mean, that guy went, if you know his story from rags to riches, you know this story. And he got everything that he wanted only to find it wasn't what he thought. He was chasing an elusive goal. He thought contentment would be being rich and famous. And that's what they say about celebrity, that it, it's a mask that eats into your face. And so he, he got that. And this is a dream. Only if I could get, fill in the blank, win the lottery, get a million dollars, whatever, then I would be happy. No, you'd be the same person. You just have to deal with the IRS. That's what happens. You know how I know that? Again, Visai people, who knows where Visai is? Does anybody know? That was my big church. Does anybody know where the little church is called Lenora? It's a ghost town. In the book, Ghost Towns of Oklahoma, Lenora is in there. I was a pastor. I drove 21 miles one way every Sunday morning and every other Sunday night to speak to 11 women and a man. The second year, the man died. So it's 11 women, and then I go back on Sunday night, every other Sunday night, and there'd be four. So they, I have an axiom. Everything I ever learned in ministry, I learned in Visai. So it's big. I've, I've been serving a big church, but you don't despise small things and small situations. And I really did learn ministry in a very small place. But... As I was thinking about that, in Lenora, we had a guy that was literally, he broke his back. He worked so hard at labor. I mean, he had a farm and, a, you know, he, he did all of that stuff. He had cattle and stuff. He literally had broken his back. And they hit oil and gas. And the guy became a multimillionaire and was miserable because he hated with a passion the IRS. That's not something out of, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I would go to that guy's garage and listen to him complain about how awful the government was. And it, something that could have been good was misused. It's not the money. See, it's not the money. It's the spirit that we have with us about money. So, when I go to Israel, these are, this is a $20 shekel. It's worth about, divided by three, so it's about six or seven dollars, okay? 
I don't really, I have to think about it. I don't have any idea who this person is. Uh, but this doesn't have any hold. It's kind of monopoly money for me. You know, I just, it's not any big deal. Now, this one is different, you know. So this is, and I'll leave this down here in the basket down here. But this one has a hold on me that this one does not. And somebody was telling me we were talking about Jeff Lester. And somebody at the 8 o'clock service or at the 8.30 service knew Jeff Lester. Jeff Lester literally gave me this bill. He thought I would enjoy it because it is a, it's from Zimbabwe, from the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. And it is $100 trillion. I, I kid you not. I hold that bill. And Jeff gave that to me uh, 20 years ago or so. This has no hold on me. I'm not attached to this. This is a, a joke. I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe it is worth $100 trillion. I don't know. $20, 20 shekels. I, I, I have to do the math. This is the attachment. And what happens is that we get attached to our money, and it takes over our soul. And you don't, it's not something that rich people do. It's something that poor people can do. It doesn't really matter the amount. It's the relationship. And the word that I would use is attachment. And that happens at virtually any age. I love Halloween because it is my birthday. And so I was always sick on November 1st because we had a party at the school. We had a party at my house. And then we went trick-or-treating uh, you know, for the candy. And remember Jerry Seinfeld talking about growing up and how you love candy as a child. Your whole life is about the acquisition of candy, that you are attached to candy. So, I am blessed because I'm a grandfather. I have seven grand, six grandchildren. The oldest is seven. Uh, three of them live in Midland, Texas. Three of them live in Dallas, Texas. None of them are in Oklahoma, unfortunately. So, but Harrison, this is our daughter's son, just turned two. They have birthdays. Jesse's kids have birthdays October 19th, October 21st. October 23rd, and my wife's birthday is October 23rd, and mine's October 31st. Harrison turned two, and we were down there for, the, for his birthday and for all their birthdays. So, he went trick-or-treating, and he has no idea what this is about. He doesn't know that the people are giving him candy at the door, but he's got his little bag, he's got his little costume, and he goes up, and they, they dump the candy in his little bag. And so... Jesse said it was really cute because when you would approach Harrison, who's carrying his little bag, and you would get too close to his bag, he didn't even know what was in it. He would say the two words that two-year-olds know. What are those two words? <laughs> you know. You're around two-year-olds. No. Mine. Jesus was not trying to ruin the rich young ruler's life. He was trying to give him a different script, but he was so attached to his trick-or-treat candy that is worth about this much now, or maybe this much, or maybe even 20 bucks, that he couldn't see the bigger picture. And that's what Jesus was trying to say Man, your life doesn't have to be reduced to your bank statement. You are more than that. 
And if people understood that, they'd understand how Mother Teresa was so successful in her ministry because she understood who she was serving. She was not serving this. She was serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would say, number one, see the big picture. Number two, and you have a wonderful optic in the sanctuary. And as I was kind of processing and thinking about things, you know, we, we had these, this long history and, you know, and, and I could get emotional because uh, uh, Aaron was talking about one of the great hymns of the faith, a hymn that we use at my father's service. As Jeremy was talking about losing his father seven years ago, uh, Aaron quoted the hymn that we sang, For all the saints from whom their labors rest, that's the song I wanted sung at my dad's service. But you have a great visual here that I just point out to you that when you come in, you don't even see it. And when I say, see the big picture, you might look around and say, uh, there's a big picture in here? Yes, there is a big picture in your sanctuary. And I hope that you'll see it when you come to worship. And that's one of the great things about people say, oh, I just do it on TV. Well, yeah, there's a reason to have it on TV, but that's no excuse to stay at home. And too many people need to have a kind question asked of them, why aren't you here? You need to be here. Your life will change when you're in this room. Don't just do this at home. Come and be part of a community. And so what, what you have right here is a visual. And when you come in here, I just challenge you to look around. I'm so glad that you all have communion today and you have bread, you have real bread, to have the taste and the senses of this. But if you look at the big picture that's in this room, I want to point out my second word. So we see the big picture, and that's Jesus. What's he doing with the lambs? Is he leading them to slaughter? No, he is holding them gently because that's who Jesus is. A guy with a big picture, the kingdom of God. And this was his big picture. It was not about money. So I told the 8 o'clock, 8.30 service that if, if Aaron was keeping with the teachings of Jesus, he would talk, number one, about the kingdom of God, and his second topic would be the use of money. Jesus talked about money more than anything else other than the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so we look at this and we see the big picture of Jesus, who he is, the incarnation, Christmas. I mean, what an incredible gift that we have. And yet we see the small that Jesus is holding. Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus was attached to small things. And so he tells stories in Luke 15, before he talks about the lost boy, he talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And remember, he's talking about these small things that other people dismiss. For Jesus, this was all important. So see the big picture, the kingdom of God, but see the small, see the child. It's a wonderful song by Josh Wilson. I don't know if you've heard this or not. It's called Dream Small. Let me read the lyrics to you. It's a mama singing songs about the Lord. It's a daddy spending family time the world says he cannot afford. These simple moments change the world. It's a pastor at a tiny little church, 40 years of loving on the broken and the hurt. That was his grandfather, Josh Wilson. These simple moments change the world. Dream small. Don't buy the lie you've got to do it all. Just let Jesus use you where you are. One day at a time, 
Live well, loving God and others as yourselves. Find the little ways where only you can help. A tiny rock can make a giant fall. David and Goliath, remember? Dream small. It's visiting the widow down the street or dancing on a friend or dancing on a Friday with your friend with special needs. That's something that this congregation is very interested in. Levi, helping people with special needs. These simple moments change the world. Of course, there's nothing wrong with bigger dreams. Just don't miss the minutes on your way to bigger things because these simple moments change the world. So dream small. Keep loving, keep serving, keep listening, keep learning, keep praying, keep hoping, keep seeking, keep searching. Add up the small things and watch them grow bigger, the faith of a mustard seed. The God who does all things makes oceans from rivers, so dream small. Yeah, five loaves and two fish can feed them all. So, dream small. And that's the way it is. So, my friend Bill at our Asbury Church uh, told me that, uh, and, and he did what the Thomases did uh, today, uh, got up and, and shared his story, and he said, I heard a sermon on tithing. He said, I, we didn't tithe. I didn't hardly give anything. And he said, I can't give 10%. But he said, I'm going to give 1%. He said, and next year we'll give 2%. And the next year we'll give 3%. And that's been years ago. Bill is far more than a tither. He's one of the most generous people that I know. When I was in school with Randy Hodgson, we heard one of our professors, Dr. Bob Tuttle, give the, make the comment, which I was in Salisaw at the time, and I was like, I can't do this. But that's an interesting thought. He said, I tithe, but I also carry around money with me, just kind of like random acts of kindness. And he said, and I would see somebody working or doing something, and I would give them, you know, $5 or $10 or, you know, it was just, I didn't give them a business card and say, come to my church. You know, it wasn't that. It was just a random act of kindness. And we weren't tithing, I don't think. I, I was uh, thinking, when, when did we actually start tithing? Well, it wasn't when I went into the ministry. It wasn't at Visai, but at some point we started doing it. And it just became part of my life. And now I do that too. What Bob Tuttle planted it as a seed for me in 1985, I now practice and have been. I can't tell you how much joy. You know, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I know what he's talking about because I've watched those at a checkout window at an Arby's as I gave them a $20 bill. And they'd say, for me? You just bought an Arby's sandwich and you're giving me a $20? I, yeah. And I've seen them dance. I've seen them like, I mean, wow. I gave a $5 bill to Jane at Panera the other day when she told me that she gets up at 2 a.m., to be at Panera Bread at 4 a.m., and she works four days a week from, from 4 a.m. to 2 in the afternoon. This little lady is, by all appearance, older than I am. And I just thought about that and how difficult things are for her, and I can just bless her. It's not $5 isn't going to make any difference, but it's a way of communicating. It's a small thing. And so when we do these small things, these, these little things, it's not big. It's holding the door open for somebody. It's having good manners. It's like, how can I help you? How can I bless you? You don't have to do everything for everybody, but you can do something for somebody. 
And when that becomes your ethos and you become attached to the kingdom purpose, then you can act big or you can act small. It just depends because you have a greater mission in life than just the accumulation of funds. Third, so we talked about big. We talked about small. Do you remember the third word? Act. Be courageous. Take a risk. So, I don't know about you, but I have sales resistance. Uh, So, to me, preaching, I never like it being called preaching. I just like, it's visiting. It's like, you know, I'm this way when I meet you, you know, afterwards, and I'm not going to like, change and go, you know, I, I, that just never appealed to me. And when I'm, I'm around those folks, sales resistance goes up. It's like they're trying to sell me something. I don't, you know, I, I'm just not going to do that. So, so to me, this is, this is really, really important that we hear this and that we act and that we respond. And the sales resistance may be going up. And I want to tell you again, this one. The one that you're looking at behind me is someone that wants to make our lives better. And when we follow him, we find a real mission in life that is transcendent, that's greater than just me and us. And when we seek first the kingdom of God, the other things come along. When we seek the other things, the kingdom of God never comes. It's a win-win, the kingdom of God and these other things. It's a lose-lose when you seek to keep up with the Joneses because you'll never get there. There's always something new, something that you're missing, something that's, that's out there. So, see the big picture. Dream small. Act. Be courageous. Take a risk. Start giving. However it is, God lays it on your heart. 1%, 2%, whatever. Start giving. Be intentional. Think about this. Pray about this. Everybody can do something. So, it was 1 a.m. on June the 24th, 1977. I saw the movie recently. I don't know if you all saw it. It's just stunning. Uh, Tom Hanks, my favorite actor, was the manager for Elvis Presley. And I saw that movie. Did you all see the movie, Elvis? I mean, that's just heartbreaking. Uh, Elvis, on June the 24th, 1977, had finished a concert in Des Moines, Iowa, had flown to Madison, Wisconsin. He had his entourage, two limos, and they took him to the hotel in Madison. It's 1 a.m. They pull up, and there's a red light there in Madison. They stop, and and Elvis is in the back seat and happens to look over and see that there is an altercation at a gas station. And there are two young punks that are beating up a third guy, and they've got him on the ground. And Elvis says, stop, we got to do something. And this bodyguard said, no, we've got to go on. We need to go to the hotel. You've had a concert, and you got another one. We need to go. And Elvis says, we need to do something. They said, no. And the next thing they know, can you imagine being one of the bodyguards? Elvis opens the door and gets out of the limo and charges across the street. He's still got his costume on, you know? Now, this is the pudgy Elvis. This is not the sleek Elvis, okay? So he comes over there, and he, believe it or not, I mean, can you imagine being one of these three characters that are tussling on the ground? And Elvis comes over. He goes into the karate pose, and he says, 
like, oh, there you guys on, you know, that sort of a deal, you know, and so they're just, they know who he is, and they're just, it's the voice, and they're like, they're stunned, they, get, they quit the altercation, and they're just like looking at him, and he goes over and he gives them the two guys a lecture, it says, helps the other guy up and stuff, and he gives them, you guys can never do this, this is not a good thing, and blah, 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 and so soon a little crowd, 1 a.m., gathers around, there is a stone monument about this, and you can Google this, I looked it up and saw it last night, uh, when Elvis helps this guy in Madison, Wisconsin, and he signs autographs, gives him a lecture, and he gets back in the car. 52 days later, Elvis had died. It was June 24th, August 16th. It didn't take long. I was married, by the way, on July 30th of 1977, right in between that gap. My wife always said the reason that Elvis died was because she had married me and he died of, an, of a broken heart. So, I don't know about that, but that's her narrative. You may not be rich. You may not be famous. Jim Carrey reminds us of the fleeting note of that. You may be poor. You may be infamous. You may be anonymous. But your life matters. Your life matters to God. You are important. And your gifts are important. And what you do has an impact. And you can influence people. It may be something small. It may be something big. You always begin small. But when that happens and that takes root in your life, then your life has significance. And you add significance to others. And we do this in the form of a cross. The vertical, our relationship with God. The horizontal, our relationship with one another. We're surrounded by the symbol of the cross, our relationships. Love God and love one another, whoever they are, wherever God puts them in our lives. But it begins with a spirit of generosity. Think big. Dream small. Act. Do something. Don't just sit in the boat. Don't just sit in the back seat of the limo. Get out and do something. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.